Welcome to episode 48, season two of Coach Pat Chat. Um, I would first like to say, yes, I'm not recording as much as I did last year, but last year I was in lockdown. I was in quarantine, and quite frankly, if I'm being completely honest with you, I was really bored a lot, so I just recorded. Uh, I mean, I loved all my guests, but it gave me something to do. But I am in person now, so... Uh, please bear with me as I try to get these out as often as possible. Today, I'm really excited. Um, Andy Milne is joining me, and we've been talking back and forth um, about doing a podcast, and it's either uh, just been hard to connect as anyone in the States with me. Um, you just got to find the right times, um, because sometimes it's middle of night for him, sometimes middle of night for me. But Andy, I'm so stoked to have you here. How you doing, man? Mate, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we finally made this happen. You and I have been like ships passing through the night. I see you on Twitter. I kind of holler at you. You holler back. And we've never had a chance to sit down and do this. And it's been, what, six months in the making for sure. So I'm really looking forward to a, a fascinating conversation, mate. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And like I was just telling you, and we'll uh, obviously we'll get into your history and your background a little bit in a minute. But um, it's so interesting because before... I got on Twitter or even started speaking on Twitter. Like I did a year on Twitter, just being a lurker, which is completely fine. Like plenty of my friends are lurkers, um, but I didn't know what to do. And my wife's a tech director and she kind of tried to educate me on protocols and whatnot. And then I just kind of took off with it. But before I got on Twitter, I actually, I was struggling um, teaching my first puberty class. So I just went on YouTube to find useful resources and I found your uh, TED talk on um, uh, sex ed. And the funny thing is when you mentioned the ways it went, that was like my childhood to a T. Like I fully was divided into a different room. Um, I don't remember if I was mature about it or not. I, I was in sixth grade, so um, probably not, but I was also a teacher's kid. So I probably kept my mouth shut as well. Um, but it was so funny to listen to that. And then here we are. Um, so before Twitter, I followed you unofficially. And it's funny because I, I remember I remember you. I remember you coming on and being more active on social media. And what's really funny is there's so many people I follow on social media who I then met. And I specifically remember the moment they came on my radar and I was like, ah, this is somebody I need to follow. And you did. You came across as a very energetic, enthusiastic voice. And what I really appreciated for you is um, your willingness to share immediately off the bat. You're willing to share, um, especially when it came to moving into that pandemic and sharing your experience overseas. I felt like you were months ahead of us here in the States. You were sharing what it was like to be back in person, um, to be teaching with masks. And a lot of people look to you, I think, to just see, okay, this, this is what we need to do in order to be prepared. So yeah, I remember exactly when I first uh, first came aware of you. Awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to dive back into that time uh, later in the podcast, because that was so weird. Um, and I think like, as I said before, I used to record a lot of podcasts. I, I didn't start the podcast. I started as a virtual learning like thing for my students. And then I said, oh, this is really easy. Like, I think I would like to do this. So like, 
The pandemic has been terrible, but it has provided me with some interesting opportunities by having nothing to do. So, <laughs> 48 episodes later, yeah. 48 episodes later, long may there be many more. Right. Uh, Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, where have you been, where you're at, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so I've been teaching, I think this might be my 25th year of teaching. Um, like many PE teachers, I think I found... I got recognition in the PE setting as a kid, went to a good grammar school in London, um, didn't really know where, where that would take me. And I was at a very academic school. The school didn't really know what to do with a, a, a jock, essentially. Um, so I kind of bumbled my way through to college and pursued sport, played basketball in college uh, for four years. Um, and then that path just led to becoming a PE teacher. It just seemed the inevitable thing to do. I didn't know at the time it was what I wanted to do. And as soon as I was in the gym space with students, I realized that that was my calling. Had a wonderful time, bounced around a couple of schools in London. Um, and about seven years in, uh, got a little bit jaded, got a little bit jaded, got my fingers burnt a few times, didn't like the way education was being run in London, didn't like the way that young teachers were being treated. So looked elsewhere and actually jumped ship, uh, walked away from teaching for a couple of years, worked in recruitment, um, for which financially was a wonderful reward, but there was no emotional reward there for me. And I've, I've said this to people in the past, um, when you've taught a, a blind kid to head or a soccer ball, when you've taught a kid with no hands to swim, you can't put a value on that in terms of money. So I'd get bonuses as a recruitment consultant and people would say, well, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you over the moon excited with the money? And it, it, that wasn't the buzz. So I came back into teaching, uh, did five years in a big prestigious boys private school in London and would have stayed there forever. Loved it. Coaching rugby, cricket, basketball, track and field. Um, but I bumped into an American girl in a bar in London and one thing led to another. Sold the house, quit the dream job, sold the car, moved to America, started all over again. Uh, three schools later, I'm at an outstanding school um, just by Lake Michigan on the suburbs of Illinois. Um, 4,000 kids over two campuses, a PE and dance department of 33 teachers. Uh, and I'm going to ride my time out now. I'm going to stay. I tell my students, if and when they have kids or nieces or nephews, I want to be here to teach their kids as well, because um, I've, I've now found the school that I want to stay at until I retire. Living the dream, loving life. That's awesome, man. Are you teaching health, PE and health or? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm a PE teacher at heart. You know, I'm very comfortable in a tracksuit. And that's that was my 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 niche back home in England. And when I moved over here, um, my first big break in the States was a Catholic school was looking for somebody to start the health program. So I'm there in the interview with the nun and, and the nun says, can you write a health curriculum for us? And I said, yeah, of course I can do that. And I got the job. And then I thought, oh, shoot, I need to write a health curriculum. Uh, but it was Carmel Catholic. Hence the reason why my Twitter handle is Carmel Health. I think I'll always be indebted to them. And I had three wonderful years um, as the only health teacher, just developing my craft, um, developing a lot of technology, writing lessons. Um, so then, then I was seen as a health teacher when this vacancy came up at Nutria High School, where I'm at right now. It was an opportunity to go over there and join a whole crew of really good teachers. And now my my timetable is I have three health periods, one PE, and I'm an advisor as well for juniors. So I'm an, I have an advisory as well. But health, health is what I think where my reputation is set. But I always insist on having at least one PE class. I love teaching PE. Um, I think I have a nice approach to teaching PE. And I tend to get the juniors and seniors 
who've had PE beaten out of them. They've been told that they're not very good at PE. And that's the group that I love. I love just working with them, finding what makes them tick, uh, in, increasing their motivation so that they come back and, and look to learn a little bit more next time. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's so interesting that you said that about PE, though. So, like, when I used to, uh, I started off as, well, I've always been a PE teacher, technically, but um, my first year in Vietnam, three years ago, um, they wanted to hire me as an AD more than a PE teacher. And I did, like, when I was in Kazakhstan before that, I was an AD, but it was such a small school that it didn't really... Like I could teach, I taught K through 12, like full day. And then I could still do my AD stuff later. Um, and I said, oh, this is really cool. I'm kind of like an administrator at a young age. And and my second year in Vietnam, I said, you got to take me off this thing. And <laughs> they, they said, what's the matter? I was like, I miss teaching. I'm teaching one class or two classes um but it started off as one and i said I, I was like i don't like the clerical work it's a bunch of bs half the time and that's not to say ad is a bad job it just i i admire all the ad's i've worked with but for me like i want to teach and that's um i'm not i guess the most clerically organized person so i was like you should definitely find someone who's passionate about this um, because I feel like I'm giving not my all into either because I want to focus on PE, but I'm overloaded with scheduling games and creating activities, signups, parents getting upset because their kid didn't get the first activity that they wanted. Um, and it's taking away from my, like my mental capacity to put my all into PE, which is, um, all I want to do. Even when I get older, like some people are like, well, don't you want to get into a job where you can kind of relax a little more? I said, no, I, I would like to teach PE till I retire. Yeah, I mean, 25 years in, I've worked alongside some amazing educators, you know, in those 25 years. And I followed their careers and, and many of them have moved into administration and some are now headmasters and principals in their schools. And that's where they deserve to be. Right. I'm very, very happy in the classroom. I have as much passion for what I do now, perhaps even more so than I did in my first couple of years as a teacher. This is where, where this is my calling. I've got other leadership opportunities here and there, uh, and which is completely fine. And sometimes I see my role in leadership outside of my own school and just within my own health and PE community. But no, I'm, I think what, this is one of the things that has helped me through the pandemic. It, I haven't felt that I'm so stretched. I have taken my circle of influence and my circle of responsibility and really narrowed it down and focused specifically on the classroom of students in front of me, whether that be in person or online, and then my family as well. So that, that circle has just got smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm controlling the controllables. I feel like I'm doing a good job as a father. I'm doing a good job as a husband, and I'm doing a great job as a, as a teacher as well. So the pandemic i've been very fortunate in the pandemic for sure for sure yeah and like i said um it's there's been terrible things all around and we were talking earlier about um it's a scary time but i think it gave me a lot of time to grow i i think through the use of twitter and just talking to other people and having time to do that i think it helped me grow a little bit faster um as an educator 
just by experimenting and trying new things and being, I think the pandemic, when it comes to online teaching, since it's new to everyone, it gives, and a lot of t teachers are already good at this, but I think it gives them mentally more leeway to fail. Like they're more willing to take risks and stuff like that. And, and I think that helped me grow a lot. I mean, I've always um, considered myself pretty humble in my teaching and wanting to learn um, as a lifelong learner. Um, but like, it, I definitely took risks that maybe I wouldn't have taken if we were just in a normal setting. So I do think I benefited from that. Yeah, I was listening to one of your previous guests. You had Ben Landers on, right? You had right. Ben? Yeah, and I was listening to Ben's Q&A podcast, um, and he did a series of three, and it was how to teach during the pandemic. He was just sharing things that had worked for him. And one of the episodes I listened to, I love, he started it with asking what have been the positives from teaching in the pandemic. And I thought that was a really great way to open the show because everybody, you know, initially thinks about how tough it's been. And it has, this has been the toughest year of teaching in my career, hands down. But I love how he framed it and said, you know, what have been the positives? And, and there have been many, you're right. We've been flexible. We've been able to think on our feet. We've had to think of novel ways to introduce and teach our material possibly online, possibly with some kids present, possibly hybrid. I mean, we faced all manner of those things, um, but it's, it's kept me sharp. Um, it's definitely encouraged me and I'm hoping it's encouraged other teachers to narrow down what they've tried to teach the students, focus on what really is important. Um, and at the same time, realize that you can take a step back and dive into the social emotional content as much as you can. Um, let's take the temperature of the room, see how your kids are feeling um, and, and, and just work on relationships, work on the social emotional side of things. Um, and yet still somehow keep your health content, your health skills, your PE material ticking on. But in this day and age, that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is that we all get through this pandemic and cross the line together, reflect upon it and, and be stronger, you know, this time next year. Yeah, for, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I really kind of want to stick um, with the positives that have happened. Um, could you just out of my curiosity and sorry, guests, uh, all my listeners, um, if you already know all this, but could you kind of take me through hybrid? Because that's the one thing I haven't experienced in all the places I've gone. Um, yeah, and I think different different uh, parts of the country and different parts of the world are using different language. So to me, a hybrid setting is some students are in the classroom and some students are, are accessing your lessons remotely. And I have to admit, when that... But the, when the potential for hybrid teaching came around, I got excited and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to plan these very varied lessons and the students who are coming in online, they're going to access this content and I'm going to do something different with the in-person students and give them an experience as well. And that, that was my plan. And I think that's a wonderful plan to have. But making it happen was just so unrealistic. And essentially, hybrid for me is... I'm sitting in front of a laptop, students who are Zooming, Zoom in, students in the classroom, they're kind of Zooming in as well. Um, you know, you could project it on the screen, but then the audio is awful and they can't participate as effectively as they can on Zoom. So they're Zooming in as well. Um, the only benefit from having, from being in person with me is that if there's ever a breakout room, 
I'll, I'll leave the online students in their virtual breakouts and I'll step in front of the behind, step away from the screen that I sit behind and then actually have a chance to engage with the students. Right which is still tough because they're all masked up, you know, and, and, and there's only a handful of them as well. And then also at the end, of the, at the end, I try and plan it so that my lessons finish a little bit early and then the online students can go off and do a thing, whether they're accessing a resource or writing a reflection or they get started on the assignment piece. And then again, I can step back into the room and I can work on individual conversations with the students. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And I bet you by the time I get it and I think, yes, this is it, I've got hybrid sorted we'll be done and we'll be back in class in school again so that's hybrid setting to me that's that's a hybrid teaching for me so for your hybrid setting is it kind of like and i'm only asking because my niece had this earlier in the year is it a choice or is there isn't there is an element of choice okay so yes there is so at our school mondays are virtual for everybody Um, and that as a support opportunity as well so i'll give my students a resource they'll 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 access that resource and and do some work none of that work can be turned in on that day but i can still have individual zooms with students who are struggling so you can that so we we have emphasis on support on those mondays tuesday and wednesday the first half of the alphabet come in and thursday friday the second half of the alphabet come in but we've also got students who have elected to stay remote for the year for whatever reason and then i wonder if when we come back after the summer many schools will still provide some kind of virtual setting because some students have thrived in the virtual setting uh, and some students will probably still feel nervous coming back for health reasons we know that teenagers won't have had the vaccine certainly here in the states so i would imagine there will still be some kind of virtual academy offered for high school students in various parts in in the well-resourced parts of the school of the country Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. But um, for my niece, um, I I won't dwell on it too long, but they said, um, if you choose to go online, or if you choose to go in person, you have to stick with that pending things changing, like, what do you call it? Guidelines by the district Mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, for the semester. And then you can reevaluate. Um, and, and I think it was because they, the number of the teachers they had, like they had specific teachers that had to do online and specific teachers that had to do in person. So their hybrid was a little bit different because they would have kids every day, but they would be in charge of the kids um, that went every day. And then another teacher would only teach online. So I, I guess it's planning or I think it's tough to be absolute. I don't think there's been any certainties and I, and I would hate to be, and we just talked about being in an administration. I'd hate to be an administrator right now because you're not going to have, you're not going to keep anybody happy. Everyone's unhappy with any kind of decision that you make. Um, and at the same time, if I, if my kids want to come in on a Tuesday and maybe their schedule's super light on a Wednesday, so they don't come in, or maybe they don't come in for health reasons and they can still access the lesson remotely. So at the end of the day, I don't think it matters if you're in front of me on a computer or in front of me in the classroom, as long as the learning is still going on. Yes, of course, there's so many benefits and we want everybody to be back in the building, you know, as soon as we can, providing the the setting is healthy. But my, my emphasis is, you know, can you show me the evidence of learning and understanding 
And I, and I don't mind whether you show that to me in written work, whether you turn in a video recording or an audio recording, whether you do it in an interpretive mime, I don't care. Just show me that you're learning and tell me that you're okay out there. It doesn't bother me whether you're in front of me in the classroom or online. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, what kind of lessons are you doing for PE for the online kids? <laughs> <laughs> there's the rub uh that's that's really tough that's really tough so it does you don't know right you don't know who's going to be there on any given day so we've got a number of gym spaces at school and each gym is set up for a different activity so there might be basketball in one of the gyms there's badminton in another there might be uh what have we got in one of the other gyms we've got uh spike ball going on right now um we've got uh, an indoor track that students can use as well my lessons are slightly different. I've got juniors and seniors on the last period of the day. Mm-hmm. Students can elect to go home and work remotely. So in my three in my three days a week that I see them, Mondays they'll tend to access a resource based on a theme. Wednesday we'll Zoom and we'll talk about that thing. Maybe there's a written reflection. And on Friday students check in with me and then they they go off and be active. And then they provide me with evidence that they've done that thing, whether it be photographic evidence, written evidence, um, something that's time stamped. Maybe they did a Peloton run. Maybe they used the Strava app and went for a jog in their community. Um, Is it, is it the best, is it the best PE uh, provision? No, it's probably not the funnest either, but my students are reporting that they're enjoying having the flexibility to not necessarily work out at 2.25 on a Friday. They can work out at five o'clock that night and still submit that evidence and put it on a Padlet board. Um, I'm trying to stick to themes that are related to Illinois state standards. Right. Because I still want, I, I don't want anybody to come out of the pandemic and say, you know what, PE was a waste of time. I think we need to continue to attack PE, continue to reduce the hours that we have, and maybe we should put in a different academic, uh, academic subject instead of PE. I think we still need to be seen to be justifying what we do, um, because now more than ever, PE is open for attack if we just focus on activity and if we just, you know, if, if, if we don't be seen to provide the E, the education in the physical. Yeah, but I think you're doing a good job. I, I mean, let's look at the educational aspect or not even that, just the, like I've said multiple times that as a kid, PE kind of molded me because it taught me how to make decisions. It taught me how to, learn through variety, um, learn about frustration, build relationships and stuff like that. Um, And people are always talking about having autonomy. And I think if you are creating themes, but the kids also can structure their days because days are so different for a child now um, and engage in that and they're enjoying what they're doing, they're learning um, at the same time that they can find enjoyment through physical activity. Um, and it almost propels them into that whole um, wellness and physical activity for life because they're already getting firsthand experience on how to create it on their own. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, and it's tough, you know, right now we've got sub-zero temperatures here. We've had wind chill at negative 35. So going outside is almost an impossibility. Um, so what are you going to do? You're going to ask your 17 and 18 year olds to join you live streaming a, a workout. You have to give them that kind of autonomy. And, and, you know, for my students, they're going to be in college in a couple of years. So they need to develop that independence. They need to know how they're going to find movement opportunities on their own time. So uh, one of my themes for a couple of weeks was um, how can we use technology to um track our workouts and to make our workouts more effective so we did some reflections looking at the different types of tech that you use whether you're using a peloton maybe you've got your fitbit maybe you've got your apple watch are you using apps then we watched a ted talk that talked about the growth of uh, wearable technology then we found a ted presenter who who was identified as the most connected individual in the world this presenter is hooked up. Everything is, is monitored and tracked all the time. So I got my students to write some questions. We shipped them off to, to that presenter who then sat down and recorded a 25 minute response, naming each of my students, talking about their question. And then we sat through that. And again, we had a live discussion on our, on our chat on the Zoom as well. So it's still pertaining, it's still related to an Illinois state standard. Were we active? Not necessarily, but we have learned that there is value in harnessing the power of, of wearable technology to make our workouts more effective. So that's a good takeaway. Yeah, for sure. And it's such a hard situation and um i think you're right we do have to defend pe and um actually i don't know if you um talked about well you listen i, I talked to susie stevens who's in charge of pe new zealand and uh she's they started this movement in new zealand i know it's a completely different area but basically that was e and pe and just talking about, as you said, the important aspect of the educational aspect um, in PE. But I think we need to realize, I think there's a lot of instances in core classes that things aren't the same as either. Um, and some kids, like they're having trouble with kids staying on camera or how to do that, how, how to know if someone's actually engaged and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that everyone, in my opinion, has great ideas and is trying to do the best they can. Um, but I think it's really hard to measure anything um, to an equitable standard in any uh, subject that would be in a normal classroom. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And, and I'm fortunate we've got administrators who are empathetic. And uh, we had a video message from one of our uh, administrators very early on. And he said, these aren't normal times. So don't expect to be teaching normally. Don't expect to teach a normal curriculum. Scale it back, slow it down. Uh, I talk about Marie Kondoing your curriculum. Just just keep the stuff in there that, you, that gives you the, the warm feelies and drop everything else to the side. You know, not everything has to be assessed. Um, you know, focus in on, on the core assessments and, and the things that your students need to know and need to experience. And let's just get through this. You know, we're gonna cross the line together. So let's all get, let's make sure we're all there at the end without losing students and without losing teachers from the, from the, the, the profession because this has been such a, a, a difficult experience for them. Right, and I think it's different for me 
because I, I I teach internationally. So like that's kind of be solidified since I was, I mean, I started going, I started being a student at an international school in 1986. Um, so PE's probably always pretty much been pretty standard. There's been some schools where I thought it could have been a little more prevalent, like just the frequency by the week. Um, but I've gotten to a place where I think um, they're meeting the mold, but that's why. Um, so when I started the pandemic teaching or whatever you want to call it, um, and it happened right. So Chinese New Year just ended for us um, right now. So same time last year, give or take a week or so, we got back from Chinese New Year vacation. And that Sunday they said we're closed. Um, so I, I didn't have much prepared. I didn't know what to do. Like we had chats about this could happen, but um, I don't know, like in Vietnam, there wasn't a lot of cases and a lot of us just didn't think it would happen. So my main focus, and this kind of alludes to what you were talking about with the kids getting the moving and stuff. Um, I created a unit where they like I taught them the TGFU model and stuff. I thought it was a good time to talk about TGFU and have them understand the cycle of how each phase works. But what I wanted them to do was not necessarily play a game. Like I give them resources or game ideas and stuff like that. And I use Nathan Horn's, um, a lot of his game ideas that they could use at home. You just change things to cups and stuff like that. Um, but what I wanted to do, it was basically like a family play unit. I wanted them to find ways to use TGFU so you're still kind of teaching content or standards and play with their families because they could be in a family situation, especially where we are. Um, we had a, a, a large Korean population, but um, the dad um, or the mother was frequently traveling to different, like back to Seoul or because most of them worked for um, Sony. Um, so they constantly traveling, um, but he's home now, like he's, he's stuck or she's stuck. And uh, mm -hmm. I said, this is a perfect opportunity for you guys just to be with your families and play games. I mean, uh, you don't have to do it all day, but come up with a game. And then they'd send me, they could send it to me. I taught them how to use Canva. Uh, they're older kids, they're high school. So I was like, you can show me what your plan is um and show me how you went through each part of the wheel i call it the wheel it's just a circle but um uh so yeah i, I think it's important my big focus was that they were having fun and they were moving because i didn't know how long this was going to last kids are stuck in apartments i said right now content is not i i, I hate to say it but it's not my primary concern your your well-being and having fun with your family is what I want you to do right now. And yeah, I absolutely need to do that. Yeah. I, I, and I think it sounds like what, the, what you put in place is, is really good. It sounds like it's really good. Uh, the, the way the, the, the mantra that's keeping me going right now is that we're probably less than four months away to the end of the school year. Right. I can survive another three and a half, four months. I think teachers are running out of ideas. I right. think teachers are running out of adrenaline. Uh, typically this time of year, we'd be feeling tired anyway. You know, we're all waiting for spring to, to spring um, and get a, a, another 
some lightness in our step. So, so typically we would already be feeling it anyway. Um, I think for teachers out there who are struggling, don't be afraid to repeat things. Don't be afraid to stick to routine. You don't have to have a novel lesson every single time. If it if it's working for you, then stick with it for another couple of weeks. Um, you know, just make a tweak here or there. Uh, once I hit into that that whole idea of having regular themes my planning became so much easier. You know, Mondays was always a resource. Tuesday was discussing the resource and, and doing something with that information. Friday was always Zooming and then going off and being active. We've got into that routine right now. Um, some of that ends up in the grade book. Most of it doesn't, but I am still in touch with all of my students. I am still leaving them written and verbal feedback to anything that they give me. I'm reading every word that they turn in. Um, I'm responding to every photograph they share with me or workout that they do. Um, you know, and I'm stealing ideas from them and highlighting them, pinning them on the screen and saying, hey, check out this thing that Cameron did. Look at this yoga workout she tried out. Cameron, tell me a little bit more about the yoga workout. Hey, who else wants to try that next week? So I think, I think I've got enough juice to keep me going for another three and a half months. Yeah, and I can't really imagine. Um, I've been kind of lucky because we're fully in person here in you China. Are. Granted, I didn't get here till November because of the borders, but uh, that was that was. I think that was the roughest time of the pandemic. I had to teach from eight p.m. to four a.m which basically means I slept till about two o'clock and I only had three hours of daylight. And I, I, I gained, like I wasn't moving enough. Like we go directly to the gym and get a workout in. And then we do like one mile hike. They had these little trails around my mom's house. And that's all we had time for before it got dark. And then you're just sitting for the entire night. And that, and the uncertainty, that, that was really hard. Like Maybe we can get on this flight. No, they're still knowing people in. Well, a month later, maybe we can go to this flight. And uh, that was the hardest part for me. Um, I mean, yeah, and I was and I was seeing that. I was seeing that happening with you. I was seeing that happening with Emily's line. I don't know if you know Emily. She's she's a fantastic health teacher. Her and her husband landed a gig to teach in Italy, and yet they were stuck in Chicago. So they were doing the same thing because of the time difference. They were teaching Europeans. Uh, silly o'clock here in Chicago. Um, so I was monitoring your situation and their situation at the same time. I was I was so excited when you all got out and finally were able to come and and start teaching again. Yeah, um, I, I I did follow her um, a bit on that, uh, but like, don't get me wrong. The beginning was really hard and. Um, I, to the listeners, I'd just like to reiterate what Andy said. Uh, I, I've repeated stuff multiple times. Obviously, the content's a bit different, but like the theme um, of the family thing, like I did that at an old school and then I did it at a new school this year. Um, and it was more um, like they weren't online. Um, they were in person, I was online. So it was, that was really hard. Just being a small, I didn't get to know my kids until November um, because it's just a bunch of kids sitting in front of me. And basically I only taught for 20, 30 minutes in person because they would go out to the field um, because we were doing mostly soccer and outdoors stuff then. And uh, they, the, the, I, I can't be out there with Wi-Fi. 
I'm not going to ask my teaching assistant to hold up a phone the entire time. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 one of the things I wanted them to do every weekend was to focus on still spending time with their family and still finding joy because what I think a lot of people don't realize, and I know I'm rambling, I apologize, is coming back is just as hard as going away. And I think a lot of kids really struggle with the fact that when you first go back, social distancing is hard. You want to hug your friends. You want to hug your teachers and stuff like that. And uh, so I really wanted them to focus on, I know the week's going to be hard and we have to do get back into content and standards because you're there, even though I'm not. Uh, it's my job to get you back on the right track. Um, but I, the only thing I would assess was games they would create with their friends or families on the weekend because I thought that was important. That's nice. That's nice. Oh, yeah. so, so tell me, when? how long do you have left? When, do, when, does, uh, when does the school year finish for you? June, mid-June. I believe. Oh, you go, okay, you go through to mid June. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, we just got on vacation. We have spring break in six weeks. Uh, nice. But I like maybe I'm crazy. People probably think I'm crazy. I, I this staycation vacation. Like we went to. We're about an hour from Guangzhou, so we went to Guangzhou, watched the Super Bowl, um, at a at a restaurant in the morning. Um, but then it was pretty much a staycation. And I'm losing my mind. I, I think it's because maybe I have, I've grown up with ADHD. I need a routine. Like I do exercise every day, but I, I need to get back to work. And I know a lot of people probably are not wanting to hear that, but, um, but we're hoping we can travel somewhere in China in spring break. And if not, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly well traveled, and I have a young family as well. And I, as much as I'm missing heading back home to England and seeing friends and family, America's not a bad place to be on a staycation. So you know, I, we 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 headed out to Wyoming and Idaho, and my my kids are already asking when can we go back? You know, head out head out west again. So we plan on camping uh, this summer and and having another staycation, and then maybe hit Europe again the year after that. So that's keeping me going. I, yeah. All I need to do now is just plan out to the end of the school year, see if I can give my students one kind of final big hurrah, some kind of experience to, for them to look forward to, something to just wrap it up. Because eventually I'm going to have to say goodbye to my, my seniors, you know, and they'll, who knows whether they'll get to have a proper graduation, you know, and all of the kind of that stuff, or whether it's still virtual. But if there's some way in which I can just have some kind of big celebration, um, have an opportunity to say goodbye to them. And then, you know, another vaccine shot down the, down the road and I, and I should be good to go. Awesome. So you got the first one. Yeah, I got my one a couple of weeks ago. I'm lucky in, in Illinois, um, teachers are prioritized. So right. they, obviously there's different, there's different phases. So we're in this, that second phase. So we're probably another couple of weeks away. Um, so, and that's good. The, the, the wave of relief, I wasn't expected. I wasn't ready for it. I had no, idea that I would feel so emotional getting that first shot right. um, you know you've been living with a pandemic for 11 months you've got that weight over your, you know that cloud over your head um, it was an amazing feeling so yeah it's good awesome man I'm happy to hear that you got it um, what was I gonna say oh um, so um, I'd like to ask you since you're we've just talked about well trap being well traveled 
Um, what 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 do you think traveling through your career and stuff has helped you in your practice and maybe even personally? Um, it's funny because I was going to ask you the same question. I think teachers in England, uh, my, when I was a young teacher in England, you were encouraged to move schools regularly to kind of take a step in your, your career. Um, so I moved, uh, I was in three schools in England, whereas I get the feeling that here in the States, you're encouraged to stick around and get tenure. And then once you've got tenure, you're too expensive to go. <laughs> Another school's not going to hire you. They might as well hire a kid fresh out of college. So it's different. Um, so I've definitely benefited from, from traveling. And then being in the private school, the private sector in the UK, to hang around with Australians and New Zealanders and you know, Kiwis and, and South Africans, you've got that kind of that traveler mindset. Uh, I traveled across Europe. I coached on basketball camps in Athens in Greece, Barcelona in Spain, um, I did uh, two, three, three camps in Cairo and Egypt. So basketball took me around the world. I traveled to New Zealand. Uh, big shout out to the Kiwi Farnow. Um, I traveled. I did seven weeks in New Zealand. Um, so I think just having that that resilience of bouncing around the world with you know a couple of bags, moving to the states, packing your life into twenty three cardboard boxes. I, th I think. I think you, you're more prepared to just take on a challenge, you know, arriving fresh off the boat from the UK, not being able to speak American fluently. No one knows me. No one knows my reputation. Um, to having to start your career all over again. I wasn't alumni. I didn't have a GPA, a major or a minor. So really had to fight hard to, um, to develop a reputation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think travel has definitely made me more of a go-getter and made it less likely for me to fail because I refused to, I refused to fail at something. I'm not going to fail at something. I'm going to make it work. Why would I let, why would I fail? Why would I, why would I let something not be successful? So I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I've traveled. I want my, my young kids to travel as well. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was a question I wanted to ask you. I, 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 cause I, I, I find your story fascinating and I, and I really enjoyed listening to the podcast episode that you put out, just sharing your story and your family's story as well. And I wondered if with the experiences that you had and your time in the, in the military as well, whether that made you more resilient in the face of adversity. Yeah, I think it does. Um, and I could go a lot of ways with this. Um, we briefly touched on this the other day when we were talking, but um, I think culture is what I tend to not value most, but understand a lot. And let me give some background to that. So for people that don't know, I moved to Jakarta, Indonesia when I was like one years old. Uh, my parents were already international teachers. They started in Syria and then Pakistan and then got a job in Jakarta. Um, so this is a massive international school. I don't even know how people are, how many people are there, but it's, it's a lot. And you have Americans, Australians, uh, Kiwis, South Africans, Koreans, Japan, Japanese, Chinese, uh, all of Southeast Asia, Europeans. Um, so there's so many different diverse cultures. And yeah, some, some cultures of the people I mentioned have similarities, of course, but um, I just, 
I started to understand and appreciate the different dynamics of what other people believed in. And for example, Ramadan was one of the, that is the first time I saw, um, I was driving to school on the bus and I saw, I was very young and I, I saw um, a goat get slaughtered, um, which was heavy for a kid my age. Um, but I talked to my Indonesian teacher because I, I talked the language in class and she explained to me um, the rituals and why they do it. And she, she found a way to explain it to me that didn't seem gruesome. Um, even though I saw what I saw for a kid from a kid being from Boston, Massachusetts, um, it, it was it was intense. Um, but she she explained it beautifully to where I focus more on the spirit and um, what it represented more than the visual aspect of it. Um, and other things that I, I just feel like there's so much beauty in the world and I'm not trying to get philosophical I can't even say that word so <laughs> um I'm not trying to get too deep on this but I think I was exposed to the beauty of so many different cultures so many different people um and like going to a friend's house like here we sit on the ground, we take off our shoes. And here we pray to this God. Here we pray to this God. So before I even understood what religion was or what I believed in, I kind of had an open book to almost explore every belief you can. Like my, my father is Buddhist and he's from Abington, Massachusetts, but he picked up, like he just bought into it and he's very, he's a history teacher. So uh, he used to be a PE teacher. And just when I tell people my father's Buddhist, they, they think I'm lying. And which I get. <laughs> I, um, some people say my dad did it because he didn't want to go to church with my mom and I anymore when I was a kid. But um, he, he, he knows everything about it. He has all the books. We have a, in their house in Maine, we have like a two-ton Buddha in the backyard that he lights incense with <laughs> uh, every day. So yeah, I, I think it's maybe not too like resilient to every issue, but I think it opened my eyes before I needed my eye, knew my eyes needed to be open, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that. I, I, I don't teach in a particularly diverse community. And I do miss that. I miss I miss the diversity that I had in London. The schools I taught at in London definitely had a wider array of nationalities and languages being spoken. Um, and, and sometimes I worry for my, my own young kids. I don't live in a particularly diverse part of the world. Um, so I certainly hope that they are able to to experience other cultures, like you say, and hear other languages being spoken. Um, yeah, that, that's a, a hope that I have for my young family. Fun fact, English isn't my first language. It I did wonder, yeah, you said that in the podcast and it kind of blew me away. I, 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 yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. So my, because my nanny was Indonesian. So at a young age, she would only speak to me in Indonesia or Bahasa. 
um, is what it's called. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't remember, but my mom said you actually spoke Indonesian fluently before you spoke English fluently. Another thing when I tell people back home, they don't believe me. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, like if if there's any so I'm not trying to advertise or anything, but if there's any educators that are on the like edge of curious what international teaching is about from a kid's perspective and a teacher's perspective, I would be glad to talk to you because it's probably the most, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, my childhood was amazing. I, lo I love the friend. I'm still very, very close with the friends I made um, as a child and as a teacher. I, I, I just like exploring and understanding the world. Um, and that there are benefits and stuff like that that make it easier, but um, it, it's probably the best part of my life, and I I owed it all to my parents. So. I uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed visiting friends who have taught overseas. I love I love the experience that they've had, and I feel like of my friends that taught, some did it for a couple of years for the experience, and then they came back home and settled down, and some work the circuit and they move around from place to place to place, and and that's just part of their life. Um, I'm envious of, of whenever they have their vacations, they get to travel to these wonderful places. Um, I, fun fact for me, I've, I've applied to work overseas a couple of times in my early career. I applied for a position in the Bahamas and I didn't get that. And then I applied for a position in Cairo and I didn't get that. And, and I, it's funny, I think of people who work overseas, you work overseas. I don't think of myself as working overseas and yeah, I obviously am because I grew up and I, you know, I'm from London, England, but I don't think of myself as working overseas, but I guess in a, in a small part of me really is. Yeah, technically. Yeah. I mean, hopping across the pond would be overseas for you, right? Yeah. I've now taught more years in the U S than yeah. I taught in the UK, which I mean, that fact alone blows me away. Because I still feel like I still feel like I'm a guest in America, and yet I'm not. Obviously, I'm home now. This is my home. Uh, have you been in Illinois the whole time? Yes, okay. I have. Um, and I and I tell my students that I'm very aware of the fact that my experience of America isn't necessarily real America. I live in a very quaint part of of the suburbs out here, and I teach in a very well resourced school, and I, and my local school where I live is very well resourced as well. So, the America that I see on TV or the America that I hear about when I go to conferences and experiences that other teachers have where they, where they, they teach. I know that that's not my experience. My, my, the, the America that I'm, I, I live in and experience is wonderful to me. Um, you know, with all my, all the privileges that I have. Um, but I am aware of the fact that, that much of America is very different to where I live. That's amazing, man. I think that's so cool. What, Non-educationally, what's your favorite thing about Illinois? <laughs> uh, well, you could say it would be the Chicago sports, but right now they all pretty, pretty suck. But I grew up, I grew up watching the 85 Bears. I had a pair of Walter Payton sneakers back in the day. Um, I played basketball in college and Jordan came into the league just as I started to play. So I was a big Bulls fan. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I'm a big, big fan of Chicago sports. I mean, the city, Chicago, is a fantastic city. It reminds me of, of London in many ways with the river running through it right. and the diverse communities and the wealth of music and foods 
and all of the landmarks. I miss, that's one thing I miss with the pandemic is traveling into the city. Um, it, it's a fascinating, fascinating place. Yeah, so uh, my, as I told you before, my wife's uh, family is from Michigan, from uh, technically Grand Rapids, but some of them live in Grand Rapids, some of them live in Grand Haven. Um, but uh, we try to go to Chicago because it's not that far once in a while. A lot of times we'll drive there because it's a, like if we're going overseas, it's the easiest airport to fly out of. O'Hare is- Out of O'Hare. Although, I've had some episodes in O'Hare that weren't the best, but um, <laughs> just delays. Um, nothing worse than JFK, though. That's the worst delay situation I've ever been in. But we always try to, and I think Chicago is one of the coolest. Like, and I like in my all of my travels around the world, I think Chicago is one of the coolest cities I've ever been. Well, the next time you're here, make sure you give me a shout. Hopefully, <laughs> I can come back this summer. Okay, I'll be uh, here. I think I told you we just got a condo in Michigan, um, but we need might need the family to set it up if we can't get back there. Um, so the way that would work, and I won't take too much of your time, but basically, we're they're flying vaccines into China, I believe. I think I read that the other day. Um, the only way we would go back, though, is if we can assure we can get back here, because um, I'm not doing the midnight teaching. <laughs> no. Um, but hopefully, Andy, we'll be able to go there this summer. It'll be great to see you in person and catch up. Let's do that. Awesome. Uh, anything else uh, tickling your brain before we wrap up? No, not really. I mean, I'd be interested to know if you're reading anything interesting. I'm always on the lookout for good books. I'm surrounded by books. I like to choose a book of the month on my blog uh, each month, and I've got one lined up for next month. But, uh, you know, if you're reading anything that you've enjoyed, I'd love to know what you're reading. Um, have you, what, like, fiction? I'll, I'll read anything. I mean, it, it could pertain to, to health and wellness. It could be something education. I'd like to read for, for fun. Not often do I read for fun. I tend to, I feel like I read to, to educate. Next up for me is a book called Breath by James Nestor. Um, I love the joy of movement. I love super better. I love atomic habits. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take any recommendations. Uh, have you read American Gods? Oh, by Neil Gaiman? Yeah. Apparently the TV show is amazing. Yeah. That, so I read the book first and then I started watching the TV show and the TV show is very good. Uh, but I thought the book was done very well. Um, another book that I read is it's kind of a satire. So if like, I wouldn't recommend it to someone that's very, very religious, <laughs> but it's called lamb and it's the story of Jesus told by his best friend, Biff. And it's hilarious. Um, Maybe you should put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my wife actually told me about it. And it is actually well written. And it doesn't... Um, like, Biff has a crush on Mary Magdalene. And he, he wants to marry her. And there's, there's just these little tidbits that's pretty hilarious. Um, so those are the two books I would recommend right now. Um, it's been so crazy lately that I need to get back into it. I'm reading, I'm reading a book on physical education assessments for grad school, if you want me to send that. Yeah, put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, most of my reading is for grad school, but I graduated in May, so we're almost. Okay. Good. 
Good All right, Andy. Well, thanks. We did it, man. We made it happen. and We uh, finally did. I, I, I really hope um, that you and your family continue to strive and do well and whatever the educational situation is that you push through. And you sound like you're doing awesome. Your kids are lucky to have you. And uh, I will link your uh, Twitter on there. Do you want me to link your slow chat as well? Yeah, throw the blog in there as well. The blog continues to grow. It has a global audience. Um, every year it doubles and continues to double. And every month I push push out blogs. And I think surely I can't have a better month statistically. And it continues. And, and now I have educators reaching out and offering to write and contribute to the, the blog as well. It's a side passion that I really enjoy and, and I want to keep it going. Perfect. You yeah. blocked. You blocked. You blocked for me. I know. I, I, I got in there. I was very yeah. excited. I'll be pushing that out. All well, right. Thank you. Thank you for this. And uh, I hope the next time we meet, it's in person, and we'll we'll share an adult beverage. All right. Perfect, Andy. Thanks so much. Take care, man.